When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Howitt. Dr. Howitt is deeply passionate about making sure everyone has a fair opportunity to be as healthy as possible and that people of all backgrounds are accepted and celebrated. Her personal experience as an immigrant from Maracaibo, Venezuela, has helped to fuel that passion. Becoming a psychologist and working in the health field only increased her understanding of the importance of working toward inclusion and equity in our society. Dr. Howitt is the clinical director of On Our Sleeves. On Our Sleeves is the national movement to break stigmas around children's mental health. She hopes to further the mission of On Our Sleeves by providing inclusive resources helpful to all adults caring for children. In today's episode, we discuss the state of children's mental health today and why it is so important to address. How we can address this crisis and break the stigma about talking about children's mental health how adults can start conversations with their children early on, and how this helps down the road, along with much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, Dr. Howitt, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So you are the clinical director, as mentioned earlier, the clinical director of On Our Sleeves. And so I would love for you to start off the podcast today talking about the state of children's mental health and why you think it's so important to address. And I feel like this is kind of the perfect time to be addressing something like this because we're, you know, we had the past two and a half years been living in this pandemic. And I I think it really has affected our children in so many different ra- ways for so many different reasons. So I'm, I'm interested to talk to you about this today. Absolutely. Yes, it is. You know, what's interesting about the, the state of children's mental health is that the CDC had released a study from 2009 to 2019, so right before the pandemic, that showed alarming rates. And again, this is pre-pandemic. We were seeing a rise in sadness hopelessness, thoughts of suicide. Suicide was the second leading cause of death for children in the U.S. in in this study. And so not only were we seeing the rise in in mental health concerns, they kind of were the ones that shared the statistic of one in five children have a mental health disorder, and then only about half are being treated. And then the pandemic happened and we know that it it intensified the concerns that we were already seeing. And that's why at the end of 2021, the Surgeon General declared a public health crisis for children's mental health. And different children's associations also declared an emergency saying, you know, this is something we have to pay more attention to. Mm-hmm. In your personal opinion, why do you think the, the pandemic 
heightened all of these things for our kids? Like, what do you think Mm -hmm. it was specifically? Honestly, thinking about it as a chronic stressor, thinking about the pandemic as a chronic stressor is, is a good way to think about why it, it made things so much worse. So we know that everyone experiences stress, but when that stress is daily, all the time doesn't go away, that just impacts both our physical and mental health. So when we think about kids facing isolation, worrying about physical health of themselves, their family members, some were hospitalized, some died from from COVID, the stress of finances in the home, because children can feel when, when their adults are worrying, the stress of online learning, all of those things happening for a year, two years, all the time, that, that's a lot to deal with as a child. Yeah. I have two things I wanted to mention there. I don't know if you know the percentage, but I had seen a survey or a poll that had come out and it was addressing the percentage of children who had lost a parent during the pandemic or both parents. And it was like way more alarming than I thought. Like I did not expect it to be that high. And it was, I don't know if you know the number, I don't, but I I can look it up at some point. I just, I, I remember seeing it and being like, wow, you know, and the the effects that that would have, just astronomical effects it would have on those children. And I love that you mentioned, you know, chronic stress and chronic stressors. And I have brought this up quite a bit in the past couple episodes because, you know, I've, I've been doing a couple episodes on gun violence and how our kids are reacting to that. And in some schools, how, you know, they're performing some of these drills and how, depending on how you conduct them, it can really add to a child's stress level, anxiety level, and having this type of chronic stress, especially for older kids that really understand what's going on. You know, not so much the four and five and six-year-olds that aren't sure, you know, at all what's going on, but those that do, that overhear peers or friends or family talking about what's been happening like around the country and then having that chronic stress and how that might affect them as far as their schoolwork and, and how they're doing in school and are they actually in ta- taking in any of that information they're learning? They're most likely not, especially if they're in this like chronic stress state. So not only does it affect their mental health, but it's also not allowing them to progress as a student, as someone who's trying to learn like within their own curriculum. Absolutely. I mean, that's why mental health is so important because if if we are feeling like you said, stressed, anxious, sad, we can't learn well, we can't interact with others well, we're not sleeping well. I mean, it, it impacts then also our physical health. And so we have to be so aware of our emotions and how we're feeling to to be able to be at our best and, and mm-hmm. thriving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just quickly look this up just so I could see it. And I don't know. This one was from October 7th, 2021. Oh, this one's from February 24th. It says at least 5.2 million children have lost a parent or a caretaker. I mean, <laughs> think about that number. That's like, that is crazy. And, you know, I'd have to vet this source. This is like a, from CNN. When you think about we hit the 1 million mark of, of deaths by COVID and, and, these are family members and and parents. And so we are definitely needing to pay attention to the impact of the the kids and the loss and 
finances and grieving. It's, it's a lot that kids have navigated. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to, I'll put this, it's actually a study from the Lancet. So I'm actually going to link to this in, in the show notes, but it's, it's just a study that was published in, in the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health Journal back in, let's see, in February that talks about it. So it's insane when you really think about the numbers and how many children have been affected in just in that way. I mean, there's so many other, they haven't seen their, their friends' faces. They haven't seen their teachers' faces. I mean, now they have, but it was for a long time. It, you know, we're talking one to two years where these kids, some of them, they're not even going to school and just having that isolation, like you said, is, is so hard. So what do you think needs to happen to address this crisis and break the stigma of talking about children's mental health? One of my favorite things about the the report that the Surgeon General released in December of 2021 is that the report highlights the different levels that impact a child's mental health. Because when you ask me the question, what needs to happen? Oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to happen at many different levels. And, and so his report helps me think of it in that way. There's things we need to do at the individual level. There's things we need to do at the family level, at the school level. He talks about healthcare, communities, tech companies, government, right? So there's everyone has a role to play when it comes to a child's mental health. Now, can you talk a little bit about what made you start on our sleeves? Like what were you just like, I mean, obviously this is your main concern is like, how can we get more access and resources to parents and students? But what made you want to want to create this and, and, and make this? Yeah. So on our sleeves was started in 2018. And at the time we realized People weren't talking about children's mental health as much. Again, if we if we go back to pre-pandemic days, it wasn't kind of at the forefront of everyone's minds, even though we were seeing these increasing trends. And so really at first our goal was just to get the conversation going, bring attention to children's mental health and and destigmatizing, right? You you asked earlier how do we help children and and alleviate this crisis? And part of it is the stigma of people feel like, oh, a child doesn't feel depressed or a child doesn't feel anxiety. And then for for some adults that notice that the child in their life is feeling something, they're nervous that they'll be judged, that that they'll they'll be told they did something wrong as a parent or caregiver. And so the goal with On Our Sleeves was really to show everyone that all children have emotions, all children have behaviors, and it is normal. And and everyone's going to have a hard time sometime and we should talk about it and, and really bring attention to it. And then since 2018, On Our Sleeps has changed a lot in that now we're also focused in giving those free resources that are evidence-informed that come from the experts at our behavioral health department at Nationwide Children's Hospital to really get the adults with children in their lives to feel like I know how to help my child. I know how to support them and talk to them and, and really be there for them, not just in difficult moments, but also how do I promote their mental well-being? We talk about physical health, exercising, eating well, but what about the mental health? How can we promote mental wellness? If you can just kind of talk a little bit more about that, because I have learned as a mom of four, there's so many things you kind of have to remember as you parent every single day, you know, you're constantly trying to just 
sometimes just get through the day. And it can be really grueling, just depending on everybody's mood that day. And like you said, it's so important to understand that our kids have feelings and that they're valid and to, to validate those feelings. And I've I've gotten much, much better with this over the years, but it is sometimes hard to like, let me try and use an example. I'm leaving for a girl's trip or something like that. And my kids are so sad and they're crying and they're whining. And it's really, it's like, it's intense. And I'm like, oh gosh, I got to get out of here. (laughs) But like, learning to validate all of that and and taking a minute to say, okay, like you're allowed to have all these huge feelings and not saying like, you don't need to be sad, which is, you know, as a parent, like I never saw a problem with that. Right. Like, but over time I'm part of this, it's called like the love and logic newsletter. It's actually a really great parenting newsletter and like listening to people in the, you know, mental health community talking about, you know, raising your children and getting, you know, tips along the way. This was one that I think is so huge. So maybe you can touch on it a little bit, but I would always just be like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to cry or you don't have to be sad. And you're not saying it to shut down their feelings. That's not, that, that's not the point of, you, you know, I, no mom would want to just not validate their children's feelings. You don't realize, but that's kind of what's happening. And so I've switched to saying, I understand that you're sad right now and you're sad because I'm leaving, or I understand that, you know, you're sad that your sister's leaving or whatever, you know, whatever the case might be as to why they're upset, mad or frustrated and just saying, I know you're this. So maybe you can kind of touch on that a little bit because I feel like it's, it's something that a lot of, I've seen a lot of parents do, but you're not meaning to just like invalidate any feelings. So I think maybe educating about that a little bit more would be really helpful. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a hard thing. Like I am a psychologist and I still, I have a two and a half year old and oh my gosh, I've caught myself saying it, don't cry. And it's like, wait a minute. Right. It, so it's, it takes practice. And, and so a reminder to everyone that you're going to say it and it's okay. And just practice and we get better at things, but yeah, it's, it's the power of, and it's saying, yeah, you're really sad right now. And I can see that you're crying and and you want me to stay. And you can say, and you're going to get to read a book with daddy and tomorrow I'll be back and we can do this special thing. And so being able to say, yes, you're upset and I'm still going to do this thing. And here's how, how we're going to cope with it. Because, you know, I often in therapy will have parents say like, we also don't want the child to kind of be the boss. (laughs) I don't know. Right. So, and that's not what we're asking. We're saying just validate the feeling and still do that thing that you need to do or want to do. Right. Last night she didn't want to go to bed and it's like, yeah, I can tell you're really, really angry because I'm not letting you keep running outside, but we have to go to sleep tomorrow. We can play outside again. And so you can validate that emotion and then say, we're still going to move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always try to remember too, as an adult, I don't know if you went to a friend or you went to your partner and you were crying about something and then their response was, don't cry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so oftentimes, you know, whenever I'm talking to my kids, I kind of like repeat that back, like as if I'm talking to my own self, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't want somebody invalidating how I was feeling or telling me to stop feeling the way I was feeling. Like that's how I feel right now. I need to be able to feel 
you know, these emotions. So, and it's hard because what matters to them matters the whole world to an adult is like, that doesn't matter. Right. And so we have to kind of put ourselves back into the shoes of, of childhood and remember that in that moment, that means the world to them. And so we have to just, yeah, just validate it. So what can we do as parents to, you know, start this conversation with our children to understand how they're feeling without them having to ask us? So one of the things that we always recommend is practicing building habits. So you want to have conversations with children every day, even if it's five to 10 minutes a day of checking in and just building that comfort of talking with each other. How was your day? Tell me something that was fun today. Tell me something that was hard today. At On Our Sleeves, we actually have these free downloadable conversation starters that is just like that opening question to get the child talking. And then modeling too, not just having the child talk, but sharing about your day. Sometimes my daughter kind of, and again, she's only two and a half. So, so her sharing is very, very basic, but sometimes she's like not wanting to talk. And I'll be like, do you want me to tell you about my day? And she'll say, yeah. And then I'll share about my day. And so I I say, start with building the habit and practicing so that when there is something that's hard and that you're worried about or the child is worried about, it's more natural and easier to, to bring it up and have that discussion. Today's episode is brought to you by Modern Fertility. We're supposed to go to the OBGYN once a year for our annual checkups, but checking in with our fertility isn't usually something that's often talked about until we're ready for kids. This is why Modern Fertility was created. Modern Fertility gives you a quick and easy way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You mail in your sample with a prepaid label and you will receive your results within 10 days. Your customized fertility hormone panel is approved by a board certified physician and all tests are conducted in a clinical laboratory improvement amendment certified lab. Your reports will explain how your hormones relate to ovarian reserve, egg freezing and IVF, menopause and more but be sure to share your results with your primary OBGYN providers so that they can review them along with you as well. Traditional testing can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility gets you the same information at a fraction of that price. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA HSA. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $30 off when you go to modernfertility.com MMM30. Again, that's $30 off when you go to modernfertility.com slash MMM30. The link will also be in the show notes. Have you seen in your work that it's easier for children when they're teenagers to talk to their parents if their parents have always had this type of like open dialogue with them and this effort to have conversations with them on a daily basis? Have you seen that? I have seen it because it's all about the relationship. So more than anything, yes, having the conversations on the daily and having the open dialogue, but then also how does the parent react? If I go to my parent and I shared something difficult and they're supportive and they listen and they're not judging or getting angry, I'm a lot more likely to go back to them. And so I'm always blown away by how much 
adolescents truly know their parents. I will have a teen in therapy say, sure, we can tell my parent that, but they're going to say this, this, and that. And sure enough, I bring the parent back, we tell them, and that's exactly how the parent reacts. And so it's all about building that relationship day to day with the child so that they know that when I come to you, you're going to be kind and validating and accepting. And at On Our Sleeves, we talk a little bit about that too, not just how to start the conversation, but then how to respond in a way that is rewarding to the child so that they feel good about talking with you and and have that good relationship with you. So that kind of makes me think of, you know, even when they're little, when, you know, we want to kind of prepare them, or at least I always think about preparing my children for, for being teenagers. You want them to be able to come to you with, with the bigger, really important things in their life, right? That, that you don't want them to keep a secret. And so, like, as you mentioned, you know, your reactions are everything. And so I try to do that now. It doesn't always work. I really try hard. It's being a parent is so hard. Okay. So my kids are doing awesome. All four of them are downstairs and one of them is like, I'm going to get breakfast for everybody. Like, okay, this is great. And they pour themselves like cereal and milk. And then, you know, one of them runs upstairs and they're like, mommy, mommy, you know, so-and-so, you know, spilled the milk all over the floor. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, just trying to like, <laughs> you know, and, and just like, everything else is going on at the same time. Every mother can right. kind of think about this and are the dogs barking, this is happening. <laughs> and then that happens. And so it takes literally everything to take a deep breath and say, that's okay. Like Mm -hmm. we'll clean it up. When what you really want to say is, are you kidding me? (laughs) Exactly. But, but to your point, that's why it's so important. I always tell myself this because I find myself doing these same things that I'm saying to you is it's so important because you don't want your child when they're 16 you know, to come up to you and say, mommy, everybody at that party last night, well, they were drinking. And then for me to be like, are you kidding me? Like, she's never going to want to tell me anything ever again. And so I just wanted to kind of bring that up because, you know, I, I, I've been trying so hard, even when they're little, even when they're three, four, five years old, because it's just building, like you said, building that relationship as they get older. I want my kids to tell me anything and everything. Yeah. And you know, it is also okay to share when you're angry, sad, disappointed, but finding the time, you know, that initial reaction, like you said, it takes, oh my gosh, it takes so much self-control and it takes practice, but being able to be like, okay, what do we need to do to clean up? And then problem solving, helping in the moment. But then once you're past that moment where you're focused on them and what they need to talk about, what they need to share, how they problem solve and sharing, you know what? That was really hard for me. I felt really frustrated or I felt really worried, angry. And, you know, I had to calm down and how, what can we do differently next time? Because as a parent, we're still, of course, allowed to give them feedback and teach them. So, you know, that example of of the teen telling you, you know, everyone was drinking being able to put your feelings aside for a second and ask them more, okay, what did you do? And what was that like? And what were you thinking in that moment? And what do you think you're going to do next time? And really letting them guide the conversation. But then once you're past that saying like, wow, that was really hard for me to talk about. I'm worried. And is it okay if I share some of my advice or some of my feelings? And if they say not right now, we can say, when do you want to talk about it? But we also want to model difficult 
emotions to the children if we always kind of stay cool, calm, collected, and we don't share that actually that's not how I was feeling on the inside, then they're not going to learn to express the difficult emotions or they're going to think they're not allowed to or that they're not normal. So we also have to share when that was really, I, I was feeling angry on the inside, but here's how I calmed down. Yeah, yeah. So what are your suggestions for, I'm just thinking to myself, it might be really easy for some parents to talk to their children when they're a bit younger, but you know, as they grow and they age a little bit, they might not feel as open to talking with us, even if we're just asking them, you know, simple questions like, what did you do today? Or so what are your tips as far as that goes? Like if you're, if your child is one that's not very talkative or doesn't, I actually have one, she's six and she, I, every day I do the same thing at dinner. What did you do today? Nothing, like uh-huh. nothing all day, uh-huh. really. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, how is this going to go when she's older? I don't know. Right. But so, do you have suggestions to kind of get them to open up a little bit more to talk mm-hmm. with you, or do you not yeah. force it? You know, what do you do? You know, I had a parent describe it to me in a way that I loved, and, and they shared that they had a child with selective mutism. So, the, the meaning the child was so anxious that they had a hard time talking. And the parent described it as the long game you build the habit of. Every day at the same time, you're going to have a conversation either as a family or one-on-one with the child. So every day at bedtime or every day at dinner or every day when we're driving home from school, I'm going to check in. And if they say nothing, okay, do you want me to tell you about my day? And, And we don't force it. We don't push it. But every day the child knows you're going to ask. And, and sometimes you start kind of building that crack, right? Like, one day, maybe the child is more likely to share. Um, I also recommend sharing non-judgmental observations if you're ever worried. So I've noticed you've stopped talking to your friends. Is, is everything okay? Is, is there something you want to talk about? I notice your grades have been decreasing. What's going on? And so being more direct with children sometimes can can be more helpful if they're having a hard time bringing it up themselves because they're afraid that the the conversation is difficult. I was browsing your, you know, the website before jumping on here and first of all I just want to say that for everybody listening like there are so many resources on here and I already can see so many different articles that I want to read just as far as like raising our kids, developing good habits, warning signs of anxiety, how to help kids deal with uncertainty. There's just so many different things on here, helping kids after violent events. And a lot of these things are all free and they're like how-to guides and they're great. So first of all, I absolutely love your website. It's wonderful. (laughs) What is Operation Conversation? Sure. So Operation Conversation, we launched in May for for Mental Health Month, and we'll continue to do different things throughout the year. But the idea is to get adults with children in their lives talking and continuing the conversation. So like I have been mentioning, creating the routine with the child so that you're building strong relationships. So we kind of have different steps. We have step one, how to start the conversation. Step two, well, the child shared something and and how do I respond in a way that they're going to feel good and keep talking? And then step three is how do I then give advice and my thoughts and feelings so that I can, you know, do my job as a, as a parent or caregiver. 
And, you know, right now that we're getting ready for back to school, which I hate to say because we're in the middle of the summer, but soon it'll be back to school. Operation Conversation is going to focus on how the teachers can talk to children about their mental health and have that conversation in the classroom and how kids can talk to each other in the classroom to build kindness and empathy. And so really, it's all about getting the conversation going. Yeah, I wanted to mention this. I had forgotten about this. So in their stockings, gosh, a couple years ago, I had put in these, I'm sure you've heard or seen seen them, but they're like these conversation starter cards. And my kids weren't quite old enough to read them yet, but what my oldest is now. And so they're kind of fun because even if your kids are like my one that doesn't like to open up as much when you kind of like introduce like these cards and some are funny, like some of the questions are kind of silly. And so it kind of like encourages them to participate. So I just wanted to mention that as a, I mean, you could even, you don't have to buy cards either. You could just think of questions on your own if you wanted to and, and, and make the cards yourself, you know, it doesn't have to be something you buy, but we um, actually have a, a free download on the website of conversation starters like that. And like you described, we have the questions that are fun and silly and just building the habit. But then we have specific conversation starters if you're worried about your child and and they're all free. We have them in English and Spanish. Oh, that's awesome. Can we go over a little bit, just kind of like the warning signs? So obviously the most important thing is to kind of start these conversations and build that relationship. But what are we looking for within our children? Like we would never want our children to be like one of these children that's, you know, feeling suicidal or feeling, having thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves. But how would we know if our child was feeling like that? Because I feel like a lot of them are very, very good at kind of like hiding those feelings. So what should we be looking for? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, we, we talk about in, in the mental health world, anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, we call them internalizing disorders. And it's because they're, they're internal. You People may not know that you're feeling that way. That's very different than the externalizing ones where you're, you're kind of showing it through behaviors, right? So a lot of the times parents and caregivers are surprised to hear that their child is experiencing depression, anxiety, anxiety or thoughts of harming themselves. And so the things we have to look out for that can indicate reasons of concern is Really changes in their behavior, like they're not interested in the things they used to be interested in. And I know that can be hard because as kids grow, their interests change. So you're looking out for more of the withdrawal, like they're just not interested in anything at all. They don't want to do anything. Nothing seems fun. Nothing brings them happiness. They don't want to socialize, just really withdrawn and For long periods of time, it's been over two weeks, it's almost every single day. We also look out for changes in their mood, not just sadness, but irritability. A lot of children show depression and anxiety through anger. And so kids will come or parents will come and tell me I'm angry all the time over silly things. We look out for changes in school grades, in their sleep habits, their eating patterns, All those things can be indicators. Now, when you start the conversation, the things you want to listen for is the thoughts that are negative thoughts of guilt, hopelessness, 
And of course, if they're verbalizing any thoughts of not wanting to be alive, but you will hear children kind of express like, I'm not good enough. No one's good enough. There's no hope. I'm not going to get better. Those kind of really hopeless thoughts are an indication that they may be having thoughts of suicide. And so we know that the best thing you can do is ask, asking, are you having thoughts of ending your life, of killing yourself? Are you having thoughts of suicide? We know that that does not make it so that a child thinks about it if they weren't already thinking about it. It it doesn't kind of put the thought in their head. We know that all you're doing there is preventing. You're making it safe for the, the child to share if they are thinking about it. Now, what about, I feel like it might be a little bit more tough with something like anxiety. Like you said, you know, sometimes it manifests as anger, but other times I feel like it could just manifest as more like OCD, just like kind of doing things repetitively or, you know, I'm, I think all, I think there's a little bit of anxiety in all of us. Right. But certainly when I became a mother, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there is a lot of anxiety here, but how can we help our children? You know, how do we notice them having issues with anxiety and what can we do as parents to help kind of minimize that for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you, you bring that up because we do all feel stress, nerves, fear, and that's, that's normal. And stress is actually good for us. It's what makes us wake up when we don't want to, when the alarm goes off, it's what makes us study for that big test, right? Like we need some of that to motivate us. Now, if the child is now completely avoiding things because of that fear, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm not able to finish a test, you know, really getting in the way of the day-to-day life that moves on from that normal anxiety that we all have to an anxiety disorder. We want to look out for the worry thoughts, the fear thoughts, but we also want to look out for that, that impairment and and, you know, how you respond really depends. If it's that that normal stress or fear, we know that actually encouraging children to do that thing that they're afraid of is one of the best things you can do because that's how anxiety works. Anxiety makes us want to run away and avoid. And if we let anxiety win by running away and avoiding, then the anxiety gets stronger. And as parents, we want to protect our children and we want to not you know, not have them feel these strong, uncomfortable emotions. And so I see it all the time where unfortunately, we make the anxiety worse by trying to protect them when really we need to push them a little bit, you know, and it it can be baby steps, we don't have to push them into the deep end, it can be little by little, I'll give an example of what we do in therapy. For example, if, if a child has social anxiety, we start by just having them pick one person at school that they know is safe and nice and kind. And all they have to do for a few days is wave at that person. If that's too much, we may just have them start with smiling. So let's start there. We, you smile at that person for a few days. Then the next step is you wave at them. Then the next step is you say hi. And you slowly build up to then you say, hi, how are you? And so slowly you build up to whatever the goal is for the child, whether it's to sit with them at lunch or do a group project or invite them over. But that can be weeks and months that you're moving forward. But we're never letting them run away backwards. We're pushing them to kind mm-hmm. of take those mm-hmm. steps Going forward. in the forward direction. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Okay. So is there anything you want to add to this this first part of the interview? I have a few random questions I was going to ask you. But if you have anything else you wanted to add to this part? 
I don't, I don't think so. I also wanted to mention too, I was just looking on here and I love that you have this section on your website. And again, I'll link it in the, the show notes, but there is an entire column here where you have minority mental health resources and there's, you know, a a section for kids in race-related violence, how to talk to kids about gender identity, and there's just awesome stuff on here. So LGBTQ, convo starters, and things like that. So I will link those in the show notes. So questions, I'm going to bring these up here. And My four-year-old needs a therapist, but no one will see children under five where we live. Do you have any ideas for us? Oh, gosh, that's really hard. Is Um, it typical that there's no, like, therapist that will see under five? I think it it depends, you know, where where the person lives, right? Rural areas are likely to, to have a harder time finding therapists in general. Kids under five, it does require a a person that's a specialist in early childhood. And so I'm not surprised to hear that. I would recommend, you know, if the person has insurance, calling insurance to see if there's anyone in their network. But it sounds like they probably already did that if they know that people in their area are not taking kids under five. So maybe trying telehealth as an option. Fortunately, yeah, fortunately, with the pandemic that there are more and more um, therapist available to see your child through telehealth. I will tell you for psychologists, for example, our license is by state. So I live in Ohio. I'm only licensed to see people who live in the state of Ohio, but at least I can see someone maybe that, that lives further away from the city I live in. So I would, I would say trying to find a, a telehealth option through a nearby children's hospital. Right. Like whatever nearby city you have close to, you must have therapists. And so looking into, and I think, like you said, I mean, we're in a day and age where I feel like telehealth is actually pretty readily available. And one of the psychiatrists I recently interviewed had said that there was like a study that had come out that basically says that, you know, telehealth medicine was equivalent to, you know, having an in-person session, which I think is great. So to know that, you know, the effects of the therapy is is working just as well, which is great for working parents that have to bring their kids in to see someone. And so, yeah, I mean, there must be a way for her to kind of contact, you know, like you said, people probably the, the local children's hospital and just ask what the telehealth. And and I will are. say it's, it's hard for kids under five to do telehealth. That that's one of those. I, I don't know the study that, that you're mentioning, but thinking about my own experience during doing telehealth, it's great with teens with the, the younger kiddos, what I would do. And, and I do this anyway, when I'm meeting with the family in person is more of those parenting strategies and skills so most likely if you do telehealth, it's it's going to be more the parent and the therapist right. versus the therapist and the little one. Right, right. Yeah, which I, I would imagine would be very similar to what you see in person as well. You know, it's more like, you know, chatting with the parent and what the parent can kind of start doing for the child at home. If, if my child is already in therapy for anxiety, is it too late to open up and have conversations? No, never too late, never too late. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about building the habit and starting young, starting them at early childhood. But the the amazing thing about 
children. And I'm talking about, you know, up to 21, 25, when our brain is still developing is how malleable they are, how resilient they are. It's never too late to, to try something new with a child and start building the habit. They, they learn quickly and they can get used to new things pretty quickly. That's great. Today's episode is sponsored by Haya. Haya vitamins are pediatrician approved, super powered vitamins for kids. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, and more. Every morning, our kids come barreling down the stairs, and the first thing they do is grab a stool and get their vitamin container. Haya sends you a refillable glass bottle that the kids can decorate with stickers with your first order. Each refill you receive will be simply packaged, and then you transfer the vitamins back into the eco-friendly refillable glass bottle. One of the other details I like about these vitamins is that they contain zero sugar and are instead sweetened with monk fruit. Don't worry, though. The kids can't tell the difference. I have a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin today for 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. This deal is not available on their regular website. You can go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. This link will be in the show notes as well. How can I help my child with anxiety or depression when I haven't experienced it myself? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. It's really trying to understand and, and be in the shoes of the child. I think having conversations with the child so that they share their experience with you. So really doing more listening, right? Asking questions about what is this like for you? What's hard? What does it feel like? And, and just hearing them with their experience. Everyone's different. So asking things like, what do you need from me? How can I help? Can be huge because everyone needs something different. Some people want someone there for them. Some people want to be left alone. And so really asking those questions. Yeah. That actually, the, the first part you made me think of, we've started doing something a little bit differently in our house where, like I said, we're constantly learning and trying to go in the right direction. And so our kids, go con- it's the fighting is constant. Oh my gosh, four kids. It's I mean, it's never ending. It's so hard. And growing up, I, I grew up an only child. So for me, it's very hard. I've always wanted a lot of kids. That's I wanted the opposite of what I had. I mean, not that I mean, it was wonderful. I'm very independent, like to a fault independent, but I've always wanted a lot of kids because of that reason. I think it's even harder for me because I grew up in like quiet. I went out and played with friends all the time, but like, anyway, it's just very different. So it's very hard for me with like the constant like noise and and fighting. I'm not used to that, like so much fighting. (laughs) And so one of them will hurt the other, throw something at them. And we've gotten into the habit of saying, figure it out between your, you know, yourselves. We're like, okay, well, 
Ellie, how did that make you feel? How do, how do you feel now that that happened? Okay. How do you feel now that that, and kind of having each kind of share their feelings about what had, what has happened. And it's weird because, you know, previously we could have just been like, okay, you guys have to figure it out or what have you. But like, once we started doing that, oddly enough, it like really helped <laughs> like overall. So one of them, you know, one of them could have hit the other, right? So then I asked the the one that got hurt and how do you feel? Okay. That, well, that made me sad. It made me, it, you know, I, I have physical pain, but I also feel sad. And then, you know, you ask the other one, okay, well, how does it make you feel after you, you know, hit your sister or threw something at her? And they'll say, well, it makes me feel sad that I did that. I'm like, okay. So then, and then you can kind of have this, but it, immediately kind of like, I don't know, it's like, it puts this, this blockade into the middle of their fight. And then they come back to, well, we're both sad, you know, and, and that didn't, wasn't the best. Okay. Well, next time I can do this. And then I'll usually do like some sort of modeling, like, okay, you know, if that was me, this is what I might've done if I really wanted to play with that toy and do something like that. But again, this is like years and years of like doing it the wrong way. well, maybe if we do it this way, but I've just noticed like as a parent that it's, it's been a little bit easier to kind of have them voice their feelings when something like that happens as opposed to anything else. So it helps so much with building empathy, right? Of, of, gosh, your behavior then has a consequence to how the other person's feeling. It's such a just good conversation to have. And I don't know, kind of taking a step back from, from the situation and looking at the bigger picture. Right, right. And okay, well, this is just about, you know, a fight about this toy, but how can Mm -hmm. we make it? Yeah. Right. All right. This question is really great. What are your top three things we can do for our kids to encourage a strong self-worth? Oh, that is so important. You know, it, it varies by age, but I will say as kids grow up, the, the hardest thing that they're figuring out is their self of identity and independence. And so starting them young, like when we're talking about early childhood, giving them little choices so that they're kind of learning to trust themselves. Do you want to put on this blue shirt or the green shirt? Having them partake in chores. Can you you know, help me put the clothes in the laundry, in the, in the washing machine. And as they get older, having them do more in the home, having them take bigger choices so that they start to develop that sense of, I can do it. I've got this. I can trust myself. That's very important. Having conversations about their thinking patterns. We know that our feelings come from the way we think and we can get stuck in some negative thinking patterns as people. And one of the therapists that we know works best for things like depression and anxiety is all about our thinking. And so having conversations with a child about how they think about themselves and and others, if they're feeling nervous about a test, like, tell me what's making you nervous. Well, I think I'm going to fail. I'm dumb, you know, comments like that and, and helping them challenge those thoughts. So I talk to children about playing thought detective, find the evidence against that thought. What's another way to think about it? What would you tell a friend if they were feeling this way? And so giving children the behavior practice to be successful at things, but also helping them challenge those negative thoughts. And then I think the third thing I would say is, is having healthy 
relationships, not just with family, but also with their friends, having people around them that are going to encourage them and challenge them in a positive way. We know that social connections are one of the best things for, for our mental health. And so it's important we encourage that in children. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. This is going to be the last one here that I pulled from here. So this is a good one. How to prepare and teach our children to be aware of their surroundings. And she uses an example like, you know, sickness like COVID or, you know, gun violence, things like that without inadvertently install instilling fear or anxiousness within our child. So kind of, you know, educating and preparing them. And obviously this has to be age appropriate, but how can we do that without also making them fearful or anxious? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question because we've, we've learned, and, and you mentioned this earlier that when a child is afraid and scared or, and even an adult, we don't learn. We, we can't learn in a fear state. So we do have to walk that balance of teaching but not terrifying. You know, we have to, like you said, it's developmental stages. Older kids understand probabilities and the likelihood of something happening. We we need to teach them. We have to be ready for, for a certain situation, but it's not likely to happen, right? And, and being able to teach them those things. What makes us feel afraid and anxious is a lack of control. It's a lack of not knowing what's coming. And so being able to tell kids, hey, this scary situation may happen, but here is how you are in control. Here is how you can keep yourself safe. So when it came to COVID, for example, a lot of kids going back to school were afraid because we told them for a whole year, it's not safe to go to school. And now we're taking them back to school. So being able to say like, yes, this, this virus is contagious. But here's what you can do. You can wear your mask, you can wash your hands, you can distance. And so giving them those tools, we can say, yes, yeah, sometimes there is violence in schools. You know, for the older kids, you can give the, the stats of this. This is actually not something that happens often in schools. But if it happens, here are the steps that you take to try and keep yourself safe. And so giving them a sense of control back into mm -hmm. these very scary situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to end this here with two questions that I've asked all my interviewees. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to mothers, what would it be? And it doesn't have to be about what we talked about today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think that not like you said, not related at all to what we've talked about. But when I think about what is something that no one shared with me, or maybe they did, and I just didn't hear it until I experienced it. I think what's been hardest for me as a working parent whose child goes to daycare is the sickness. <laughs> She's always sick. And that is just, it has been so difficult balancing taking time off of work, figuring out, is it myself or my partner that's doing it? But then also the emotional toll if she's sick. And even if it's, if I'm going at work, but now I'm worried that she's sick at home, it's just been really, really hard and difficult. So I wish I would have been more aware that that's going to happen. And so I think what I've learned that has made it easier is talking to my colleagues about it. And sometimes I have to tell myself, my child's not getting in the way of work today. It's work is getting in the way of me being able to be there for her while she's sick <laughs> and kind of flipping it and being able to tell work, I can't be my best today because I have to be present for my child. 
And so being kind to myself and communicating more with my colleagues so that I'm not trying to do both at once because we can't, (laughs) it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the last two and a half years have been even harder because you know, a lot of the daycares have all these rules in place for COVID, mm-hmm. um, con- you know, contacts and, you know, testing requirements and all this other stuff. So that has been a huge hurdle for so many working parents to kind of jump through because your kids sometimes just can't go. And, and in, in some cases, it was for 14 days at a time, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's like, what yeah. am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, you know, a lot of the like caregivers that were at home also weren't coming in. And yeah, so it was just, it's so hard to navigate. All right. Second question is if you can make one meal for your whole family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would it be? Hmm. That is a good question. Quick and easy. Yeah, you know, like 30 minutes or less. Okay. I would say that one of the things that we always go to when we need quick and easy and everyone's going to eat is mac and cheese. We throw in broccoli, like frozen broccoli, we throw it in. And then we will throw in like if we have any leftover chicken or meat or anything like that. And we just make kind of a leftover slash mac and cheese dish. And I would say everyone in the house loves that. Yeah, and what's your favorite mac and cheese? Like, what's what's the favorite your favorite brand? We do craft. Yeah, it's like pretty standardish, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just it really doesn't be. I mean, we we do Annie's too because mm-hmm. at Costco you can just get like. This I was gonna say food. that's what we have right now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, nothing beats craft. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Annie's is good, but I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> craft is where it's at. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Howitt, for coming on here and talking to us about children's mental health, how important it is and how important it is to start these conversations. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.